Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. It has been a fantastic year for guests on the podcast. I think it really is one of those situations where when you start networking with people, they introduce you to other people and they kind of get a bit of a snowball effect that way. So I was fortunate enough to be introduced to Ken, who has a blog that I was well aware of, being the humble penny. Ken is one of those guys that you get on the phone and you suddenly just feel this energy. And it's just great. And with him and I on a, on a phone call, there was a buzz load of energy going around. And uh, we were feeding off each other very, very nicely. Uh, he really is an inspiration, Ken, what he's done and his story. He effectively became financially independent at 34, which has to be some sort of world record. But yeah, just what he's done in regards to, I guess, teaching people what he's actually achieved and what he's learnt in such a simple way. I love how simple he is able just to explain stuff. It was great to interview. He really answered some tough questions and seemed happy to get some of the tough questions, which I tend to like to do, right? So I try to ask questions which I know myself that I'm curious to know and also relate back to my own experiences. I've always kind of said that uh, this podcast is about my own story and you guys trying to learn from that story as much as possible. So I'm going to stop talking now and uh, jump straight over to the interview. And as always, if you have any questions on any of this stuff, reach out to me at michael at firepodcast.ie. So Ken, from the Humble Penny, I am absolutely honored and delighted to have you on the show. How are you doing? Great, great. No, thank you for having me. I'm really, I'm honored to be here. So, so thanks for having me. For those few listeners who probably aren't aware of your blog and, and your story, would you mind just giving a quick kind of, I guess, recap of how you managed to, I guess, become financially independent at the age of 34? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so we, um, we start, when I say we, I'm talking about me and my wife, Mary. So we uh, started this journey together back in 2009. It took us a, uh, around a decade to actually become FI, um, which is quite quick relative to a lot of people and it's also quite a long time compared to some people so <laughs> there's a decent time horizon for us um, and the journey for us has been really around essentially creating a radically different life for ourselves compared to our parents and the way they did their lives so we really wanted to essentially focus on family life is has been, been our biggest thing um, I've never really had the idea of actually quitting and doing nothing, i.e. kind of early retire and do nothing. I've always had this idea of wanting to do my own thing because my I come from a very entrepreneurial family. I'm actually the only one in my family who had a conventional job um, up until April this year when I actually took the leap to kind of run my own thing full time. The dream had always been, look, we had a 10-year plan, Mary and I. We'd love to one day get to a point where we work became optional, conventional work. They need for me to shuttle into the city, um, and they need for Mary, my wife, to do a traditional job became optional. But we needed various pathways in which we could try and do that. So we started off 
uh, investing in, in property. So we've got some property assets within our, our net worth that really help us and play a role in contributing to our, our kind of regular income and so on. Um, that was the kind of thing we started off because I actually met my wife, funny enough, at a property investing seminar. This is where we started our journey. And we met there and became really good friends eventually and uh, started going out. And after we met in October 2009, uh, by December 2010, we got engaged and got married in August 2011. The life journey really kicked off. And so we started to um, explore different pathways. So one of the bigger levers for us was the career optimization pathway. So I, I rapidly rose in my career path. And obviously tied to that was um, income potential and so on. You know, I started making the six figures before I was 30 years old. Uh, for those who might not know, uh, I, I basically worked, my career has been in finance within the investment management area. So I've got a 12-year experience of working in asset management, essentially investment management, working for basically a lot of the companies that create what we buy today as, you know, within our ISAs and so on. And I, my career essentially took off and I did, you know, with that, I kept challenging myself for more income you know, all the time. I, you know, there's no year that my income didn't rise by 10, 15, 20 grand. And at the height of it, I worked as a chief financial officer for a venture capital firm where I had equity within the business. I had a, you know, a really good income and I had bonuses, you know, because I'd negotiated all those things because I kind of understood what I wanted because I knew career optimization was one of the levers that I had or rather that we had on this pathway towards um, us really being able to do whatever we wanted to do. So what that meant was parallel to career optimization, we were also lifestyle optimization. So we were changing a great deal about our lives in terms of cost base. Um, so our expenses were dropping rapidly. And parallel to that, we were putting some, some monies that were coming from our various side hustles, which I can kind of talk about here, uh, into doing things such as overpaying on our mortgage and and investing. You know, we really took off with investing. I started investing properly in, in 2010, initially kicking off with investing through buying individual stocks. We hold quite a few of those still, you know, kind of some of the blue chips, your Amazons and your so on, Facebook and Tesla and so on. We still hold quite a few of those investments that we've picked up over the years. But we then gradually, to kind of minimize our risk over time, started to explore more passive investing uh, as a strategy. So timing has mattered a lot for us as well, because we've been extremely fortunate because we have pursued a multi-income strategy when it came to uh, FI. When you listen to a lot of people talk about FI, and I, I try my best, if I'm honest, not to listen to a lot of people because a lot of my life has been very unconventional and doing what we actually thought was the right thing to do and something that was uh, creative as well. This pathway and seeking out alternative income streams has been what has helped us accelerate this journey a lot. And what's really tied to that, actually, when you think about it, is there's something that's not often talked about a lot, which is around personal development. So a lot of my skill sets today, if I sat down and wrote for you today, uh, Michael, a list of my skills, uh, they are extremely diverse. You know, I know a lot about finance, operations, compliance. I know a lot about the law. I know a lot about HR because I was head of HR. I know a lot about, you know, blogging and a lot about monetizing through ads and a lot about creating digital products. I know a lot about many things, 
And that has come through personal development because a lot of my journey has been about how could I create a life that's radically different to um, what I had started off with? Because my journey, which I haven't really talked about, was that I immigrated to the UK with, with nothing, zero. I moved here with my mum, my brother and my sisters. So the life I moved here with was radically different to the life I see today. And so a lot of this journey for me has been about upskilling. So building up my skill set, secondly, building up my mindset, and thirdly, using using the necessary tool sets that were needed for me to and my wife to create a life that kind of worked for us. In 2017, we took off and parallel to all these things I've been talking about, kind of career, building career, side hustles. We've got a number of businesses that we run as a family, nursery businesses, beauty businesses, and so on. We then took the leap to start, explore the online world. So in 2017, in December, The Humble Penny was born as a blog and has since started to expand. And a big part of my motivation when I started beyond uh, financial education was to create something that actually was sustainable and profitable. A lot of the culture in the UK is about not talking about money. I'm totally the opposite. Being somebody who wasn't really born in this country, I like to talk about money a lot. And I like to talk about how you actually make money. And so the humble penny, a big part of what we do with that is explore real ways to make money. And so for me, I wanted to be able to actually prove using two hours per day. That was the experiment for what the humble penny was about, that you can change the world with two hours per day because I understood how compounding worked and compounding worked with time as well. And that you could create something that could one day replace your job entirely if you wanted that to be the case. And so the humble penny became that thing for me. I thought, well, actually, what if this thing could become a thing that actually made money, but actually served thousands, tens of thousands, and even millions one day? I expect this platform to be serving millions, not just in the UK, but globally. That is my dream. People in Africa, people all around the world, you know, we've been building this thing and it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's kind of what's played a role as well in helping me believe outside of our assets generating enough income, they will actually, even if we didn't rely on assets from income from assets, well, actually we could like, this thing is making enough money now for me to actually do that thing we've always wanted to do, which is just to maybe work 20 hours per week, but still make the sort of income I'd make if I was working in the city of London. I'm going to be honest, you've pretty much compressed 60 of my episodes on, on the podcast into about a 10 minute block of everything that you need to know. So fair play. That was uh, that was amazing. And there was a lot of parallels there with, with my own story. And I think the one that you mentioned early on about the kind of the income or career upskill, that's quite a powerful one. And I think it's quite easy for people to get kind of just, you know, almost in a, in a just a regular go out and go and don't think about the actual upskilling a- aspect. And certainly for us, we started our journey 2017. And the first thing that we did, bar uh, reduce our expenses, was to look at ways to actually upskill and, uh, I guess, earn more money. And my own background as a freelance web developer made that quite easy to do. Within a sort of a 12-month period, I, I effectively doubled uh, the income and got better clients at the same time. And uh, that's when I made the decision to actually cut down to a four-hour workday, which I've been doing um, pretty much since. And I think one of the things that you hit on there at the end was the fact that, look, if you could be you know, earning the same money that you were in central London, for 20 hours a week, then that's that's as good as, uh, you know, that's a, a great achievement on its own own merits. And um, yeah, that's certainly something which I've, which I've managed to achieve, which has been great. Uh, the investing side, I still haven't quite got there. And I guess, you know, one of the questions for you, and uh, I guess for the listeners, 
I'm, I'm obviously going to share that you, you've got a great lot of content on YouTube. So I'm going to share these uh, a lot of this content in, in the show notes. I've been consuming it for the last two or three weeks. And uh, I, I guess, you know, some of the questions you, you talk about side hustles, which is great. I've also tried some side hustles from my own side, but they haven't been overly successful. I think one of the challenges that I have, and I'm sure a lot of people are in the same boat, is it's so easy for me just to go and work another hour and make, say, 100 euros, right? Versus a side hustle that might take a lot of time and a lot of energy to actually get going and may not make a lot of money initially. So it's one of those situations where you're kind of, and I'm in a little, a little bit of a cycle or, or a trap of, it's always easier for me just to go and produce another hour's web development work rather than go and, you know, start, say, spending time on my blog or, you know, starting an e-commerce business. I mean, I'm a web developer, right? I'm basically a locksmith of the internet. I could pretty much do anything for, for virtually no cost other than my time, uh, yet I'm still finding myself continually working on client work. So is there a way, is there a mental approach that I'm missing here that, that I should be taking? Or do you think that there's an argument to say, look, keep burning the midnight oil and, and build that capital up if you want to, but just become a kind of, you know, build up your portfolio? Or should I be focusing more on the side hustles? So that's, that's fascinating because I know I glossed over that particular point, but this is a thought experiment I had in 2017, which was how could I, and this is everyone listening to this can relate to this, which is how can I use two hours per day to create a dream life? How? How can I do that? Like to, to create a platform that pays for itself, pays me, you know, and has huge impact, right? How can I do that? Now, everybody listening to this can find two hours per day. They can find two hours per day somehow if they gave up on something else. It's always a real trade-off in life. That's, the, that's one thing I've learned. You, know, you, don't, you, get, you don't get what you want for nothing. You've got to give something up, right? So how could I find two hours per day? Now, if I found two hours per day, what could I invest it in such that I would have the outcome I was desiring? Okay. Now, for me, I knew that I was learning rather from the new friendships I was making because I was a big part of what I, I, I consider as a way to become a success at what you're doing is to hang around with people who are doing what you want to do. So I was make, make, starting to meet people who were delivering unusual results. They were seeing um, particular outcomes. A really good friend of mine, Sarah, who just, in fact, I can tell you, she runs a site called Gathering Dreams, which you can look up, gatheringdreams.com. Um, it's a good friend of mine, and um, we chat a lot, and like we talk about money. You know, this is one of the things like finding a tribe of people who actually talk to you about how much they're making and how they're doing it and stuff like that. I had people like her and other people in masterminds that I became part of, who were open to talk about how they did what they did and how they were able to do it with, with much fewer hours. And so I knew that theoretically this was possible, and the thing that gave it that possibility was, in my mind anyway, the internet. You know, there was no cap. And I understood that cap because we run other businesses offline. So I'll give you an example. We run a, a childcare business. We started out of necessity, actually, in 2008. My mother started it because my sister couldn't afford nursery fees. And so my mom said, well, why don't we just start our own nursery? Why are we paying people? Why don't we just go and start our own? And we kind of laughed it off. But then she was serious about it and started Anyway, the point of mentioning that, and that nursery became wildly successful. In fact, in the Greenwich Borough of London, it became the, the, the nursery with the largest um, intake in the year. We were taking in, we had a capacity of about 140 children in, in one building. But the reason I mentioned that is because 
I understood that in an offline business, like the one we had, we had a capacity problem, which meant that income was capped. That was it. Like, no matter how much effort you put in, your income's capped. That was it. You can only take on X number of children and provide a limited service. But in the world of the internet, there was no cap on income. There's no possibility. If you had developed the right processes and systems and automations, then really you could actually like eject yourself from the business whilst it carried on working. In fact, next month, which is August, my wife and I have got a thought experiment and we love experiments, which is we're going to say to ourselves, we're actually going to go on a mini sabbatical for the whole month. And we're going to see if the whole business we have running will run entirely without us for an entire month and see if he makes the same income or more to prove that this theory is actually right. So my point to you is, is you've got to have a bit of an idea of where you want to apply your limited resource. That limited resource is one that everybody can relate to. So I chose the internet because I know that there's no cap. And I also knew that compounding worked with time, just as I've seen compounding work for us in the last decade with money. It works in exactly the same way with time. So if you keep chucking in two hours per day, two hours per day, two hours per day, before you know it, in a year or two or three, you start to have a snowball effect happening, right? So I knew that, ah, so I could actually carry on like maybe doing a regular job, right? But if I really pushed my boat out, I could also have those two hours per day on the side hustle. And if I committed it to something that could take off, like what we're doing right now, then I could create a totally new opportunity. So my problem wasn't then, oh, do I take my two hours and put it to, you know, swap it for, you know, my daily bread type activity? Or do I just focus those two hours and almost see them as non-negotiable? I always think of it as my experimental two hours. It's what is going to create a new opportunity. And I knew that if I could prove that that opportunity was possible, then I could teach other people how to do it, you know, because you've been through it. So, and it's interesting because I didn't know anybody else who was thinking like that, apart from the people who I'd come across within, um, you know, mastermind groups and things like that, which are quite unusual for us in the UK. You know, I don't know many people who say they're part of masterminds, but they do exist, you know, because if you're within those groups, you can learn, you can begin to apply those ideas and you see different results. And that's what we've been doing, you know, which is why we now started to share a lot of that information. We're starting to talk about not just the mechanics of how you do it, but the mindset for how you do it. Does that make sense, Michael? Yeah, brilliant, Ken. Look, I've got a couple of follow-up questions, as you could probably uh, you could probably guess. So, look, that's great. And look, the mastermind groups are amazing. Uh, we actually started my own one uh, about two months ago, and it has been extremely rewarding just to just to have that kind of conversation and kind of keep yourself in check as well, which is great. But um, yeah, look, thank you so much for taking the time to answer that. You've given me some clear indications of what I need to be doing, and uh, you've actually helped me answer answer my own question, which is great. And I guess you know something unique about myself. And uh, the podcast listeners know about this is that I'm quite open to sharing a lot of the mistakes that I've made. In fact, a lot of the feedback I get on the best episodes I release are typically ones where it's a little bit of a disaster story, but I, I can at least pass on, you know, hopefully a lesson that, that somebody can uh, learn without having to make the same mistake. I mean, obviously, you know, you didn't just wake up one day and go, right, I'm going to commit this two hours and the thing became an overnight success. Did you have to dig deep in terms of learning from your own failure? And it sounds to me like you maybe started experimenting and, you know, some things worked, some things didn't. 
how do you get up from those lows? I mean, there must have been days there where, you know, things just didn't work out and you had to almost start again. You know, how do you get yourself up to keep going and to keep having that vision that this is going to work eventually? Yeah. So speaking of things that didn't work, I used to run a tuition business, for example, which I ended up selling at cost to a friend. That tuition business, in my mind, wasn't a success. It, it didn't become a success like I had envisioned. And because I, it wasn't a success, again, I, I saw the capacity problem that I'd faced, that we'd faced with the childcare business, which we still run, by the way, but the tuition business, we don't. I'd say a lot of it has come from learnings, not just learnings of my own failures, but learnings of failures in my own family. You know, I mentioned we've got an entrepreneurial business, uh, family, and, and that family is a playground for learning when things work and when things don't. Like, you know, we did, we did an events business called So Beautiful back in, we hired Excel in London, did an events business, and it barely covered its cost. Uh, we launched a magazine, uh, a magazine, my mother and my sister, when, they, when they'd started the, the beauty business, launched a magazine, printed it, tried to get into W.H. Smith and so on for the Afro-Caribbean community. But we were too early, you know. Imagine we'd launched that magazine now. It probably might have had slightly different possibility. But back then, that magazine didn't really take off. You know, we had many, well, I think we had maybe six or seven issues. But it didn't really go anywhere. You know, in the end, it didn't make profits. But we learned from it. You know, we'd understood the, you know, the model around advertising and so on. But we learned from that. So I can probably point to many other examples of things over the last, I'd say, 10 to 15 years of either mistakes that I've made. And these are not just mistakes in business, but also in career. I've been in jobs that have just been a disaster where I've missold a job. I've had to stick with that job and reflect and reflect and reflect and think to myself, well, what would I do differently next time? Each job I've left has never been a dream job. I've always had things that I've thought to myself, gosh, you know, the culture in this company is horrible. Or, gosh, I could have had more foresight about taking on this role and so on. And so what you find is, is that it's almost a culmination of many reflections on things that haven't worked out. And each time you're trying to improve upon where you've been already. And you're never quite sure that the next thing is going to be the thing that takes off. You know, you're never really sure. You've got to go with things that, um, number one, match the resources you've got. And secondly, things that you've seen work elsewhere. You know, because in the past, I'd go and start various ventures without actually almost knowing other people who had done it as successfully as I wanted to. Whereas with what we're doing right now, we a lot of the approach has been to actually get to hang out with people who are doing what we want to do and actually learn from them every every week or every two weeks when we meet up with them and say, hey, what's going on? What's working? What's not? What are you learning? What are you seeing? And also almost diversifying the um, exposure to people that we have. So we, we try to hang out with people who are outside the UK because the culture in the UK is a, it's a, it's a different one. It's probably the best way to put it. Um, so we, you know, we, we meet other people in the US, for example, who are doing what we're doing. And we're trying to learn and be as progressive as we can be from, by observing those people. But that approach has only come about, you see, Michael, because we've had many other failures in the past, things that just haven't worked out, you know, um, but each one, you know, as you kind of have them, you you reflect. And I do a lot of personal reflecting myself a lot. I do a lot of journaling, a lot of writing. As a content creator, naturally, you know, you really have to think about what you put out. And a lot of what I put out comes from my personal mistakes or mistakes within the family or mistakes I've learned by coaching people or, you know, 
of or mistakes through friendships and so on. Uh, and you're all, you're always trying to apply your learning in one way, uh, shape, or form in, into what you're trying to do right now, or maybe what you're trying to do in the future. I really do think you've you've hit it on the head. It's actually, you know, I'm, I'm thinking quite deeply as you talk about the fact that capacity is one of those things which you know, we don't often think about in our side hustles. And I think a lot of the thing that I was thinking about when I was approaching side hustles was just find something different, almost try to reinvent the wheel and find something different for me, to, uh, almost another way for me to earn money. But sometimes it's not as simple as that because it's very difficult to replicate 15 years experience, for example, as a web developer, you know, so you're almost starting from the bottom when you go and start something else. Whereas the way that you've approached it is right, let's find something that's truly scalable that compounds over time naturally. And I've seen that from my own podcast firsthand. You know, I often get an email from somebody, hey, I'm on episode five of your podcast. And that was something that I wrote 12 months ago or released 12 months ago. So I know exactly what you mean and I know that how that can actually happen. And I think the great thing with you, Ken, is you've had that 10 or so years to actually see it. You know, my journey is only two or three years in. You've got that extra time. It's wonderful. It's, it's almost like seeing myself in the future to a large degree, which is which is amazing. So, yeah, again, thank you. Thank you so much for, sh- for sharing this. And um, I guess, you know, you really do put yourself out there. And, you know, you, your wife, Mary, as well. And I think it's great that you guys are on the same page. And, you know, the fact that you met at a, effectively an investing conference was fantastic, you know. So, I mean, fair play. And it is a huge thing. I mean, my, my wife's certainly on board and as are my children as well on all of this stuff. So it is difficult to get every, everybody on board. But, like, just in terms of publicity and fame and putting yourself out there, like, was that a big driver for you? Was that something that you actually went after or was it just part of the process of actually what you were going to be doing? So this is a fabulous question, actually, because I'll tell you why. So I grew up, Michael, being called shy a lot. So I'm naturally introverted. I actually do not like any form of publicity naturally. But you see, the thing is, we live in a very different age where the personal brand is becoming more important. So you now have to self-promote. You have to become your own evangelist. So a lot of what you see in the future, in my personal opinion, will be based upon personal brands and around radical authenticity. So the reason I say that is because I've been on a journey of discovering more about myself and making myself uncomfortable. So my comfort zone is what we're doing right now. We're just chatting and there's no video and I'm kind of like, yeah, we're just having a chat. Where I am uncomfortable is where somebody calls me and goes, Ken, uh, can you come to BBC Broadcasting House and you're going to talk about something. Sorry, we didn't give you any notice. Can you just come now, please? And we're starting in 30 minutes. Very uncomfortable. And this is a real life thing that's happened to me. And I've shown up and I've gone on BBC Radio 4 and talked like within 30 minutes of being called. But the beauty of it is that it's challenging. It's pushing myself out. So when it comes to visibility, which is a deliberate strategy, by the way, now for us, visibility, because it's free advertising, it's free promotion and all of that. I do it, my personal selfish reason for doing it is that I'm being challenged, you see, Michael, because I'm learning how to do things without having to think about them. You know, like imagine I got, there were 10,000 people and somebody suddenly said, Ken, can you go up on the stage and just talk about this particular topic? And they told me right now, they said, go up in two minutes. I could actually do it, you see, because I wouldn't be so worried about it 10,000 any longer. I've had sweat in the game. I've had, I've been putting the time in 
into making myself uncomfortable for that bigger stage. I think if that makes any sense. So um, for me, the whole idea of visibility and so on actually started, interestingly, the first major thing we had was a feature in the Daily Mail, the newspaper here here in, in the UK, which you probably know about. They they called us up. They called, they called up uh, a guy who you, you, you know called the escape artist, his real name Barney Whiter, who's a really good friend of mine. And Barney called me up and said, hey, Ken, like, do you want to, you know, like answer some questions? Like asking for somebody else who's interested in the fire movement and things. Who's, you know, do you want to just like give them some thoughts and stuff? And I freaked out. I thought like, oh my God, like this is a major newspaper. Like this is like, I'm going to be out there. It's how I thought about it. I'm going to be out there in the press. And what I thought was meant to be a small section, I thought was meant to just feature in a little you know, like a little corner in, a, in an article that, you know, uh, this guy, uh, Barney, my good friend, was being featured on, ended up becoming something else. Because, like, the next day, I got an email from somebody in Australia who said to me, Ken, I've just seen you on the Daily, what's that? You know, the Daily Mail, they've got parent, I think you've got parent company, online newspaper called the, the um, can't think of the name of it now, but anyway, I remember in a second. But like this, basically, the online platform that goes all over the world. This person said You're, you've been featured as a major story, as like a full article, like two pages. And I'm like, I just panicked and froze. I called my wife. I said to her, I called her into the room and said, I think something really bad's happened. We've been featured on this thing, and like it's going to go nuts. I said, Look, don't read any comments. Don't read anything. Let's just don't answer any phone calls. And we just we were just afraid because we'd never, ever been featured on anything like that before. And it, this article, which you can find, I think if you just Google my name, I think it comes up, has been shared, I think, over, God knows, I think over 4,000 times. I can't, I can't remember now. You know, and that was the beginning because I had to almost go through that fire. And Barney said to me on that call, he said, on the, when he called me, he said, Ken, you always talk about the fearless generation. Because I always say the humble penny is for the fearless generation. The people who, uh, you know, are wanting to do life differently. They really wanted to challenge themselves and create a totally different life for themselves. They're really challenging the status quo. He said, you always talk about that. So why, you know, why don't you do this article? Why don't you just do it? And so, and I had to accept it. I said, he's absolutely right. You know, I always talk about the fearless generation. This is it. This is it. I'm now in the, you know, I can't run away from this now. And that was the beginning. That was really the snowball because the minute that got featured, then all these other platforms, the Metro, the BBC, the Sunday Times, the, you know, all these other, I can't even remember them now, but all these other platforms started to get in touch and in fact we just had another one that i news like last week so they get in touch in different ways um and as you the more you do those things the more you go oh it was actually okay i've just done it and you know you find that you have more capacity so you know how i talked about capacity in a different way earlier now i'm talking about your capacity expands the more you do things that challenge you so the more you kind of push yourself out there and go okay Gosh, I've just done it. And you're like, okay, it wasn't that bad. Your capacity expands for you to do more. So now I feel like having been and extremely fortunate to have gotten these, you know, various bits of exposure, having been on these various platforms now, I feel like I want to go on a te- I want to go and do a TED talk now, Michael. I want to go and do like, I want to go and stand on the same stage. I used to say to my wife, I want to do a spa with Barack Obama. 
I want to do like a, you know, a, a standoff with him or with, you know, because you feel like your capacity is exposed and like you feel like you can, you can stand on a much bigger stage now because you've been on other stages and you're like, they were actually okay. And you're like, wow, I was really afraid and I was sweating, you know, and I was like really petrified, but because I've done it now, my capacity has expanded and I feel I can do more. And that same mindset, because what I'm telling you here, so it's a mindset, that same mindset applies to your journey, your entrepreneurial journey, your, you know, your financial independence journey, because you start to feel like you can actually do things differently. You know, you can, you know, this journey becomes really about you and not other people, which is why I said to you at the very beginning, I tried really be led by my own, you know, what I really feel is right within me, you know, my own voice, actually, that's what I'm trying to say, my own voice. Mm. Um, and, you know, the more you do that, and this idea of this radical authenticity, the more you do that, the more you are drawn to other people because you're speaking from your own voice, you know, and it's not that that voice can never be replicated by anybody because it's unique, you know, it's, it's what it is. It's your own voice. And I, I, I haven't always known my voice, you know, I, but it's through you pushing yourself out there that you discover what your voice is, that you form your own opinions, that you, you form your own life philosophies and stuff like that. And you, you gain confidence in hearing your own voice. This is saying that life doesn't get easier, that you actually get better. You know, and I think that that's very much you know, partly on what you're touching on here is the fact that, you know, you start by doing, you know, in the example you gave, you might start by speaking in front of 10,000 people, you've done that, or you start by doing a radio interview, you've done that. So what's next? What's next? What's next? You become comfortable. I've had other guests on the show before that talk about kind of levels, that you kind of get to a different level and then, you, you know, you, you get comfortable there, so you go to the next level. I guess for some first-time listeners of the show, if this is the first episode they've, they've listened to of the podcast, they might be going, what's this got to do with financial independence? But, but of course, it's all tied in. It's all personal development that's, that ultimately leads to financial success, you know, and, and it's, it's one and the same. There's no point becoming financially independent and then not having, you know, not, not being happy with that and not having anything to go back on. So, you know, you, I think it's great that you've touched on that. I, I think it's wonderful that you've built up this life that's allowed you to, to kind of, you know, release the content that you do and, and help educate people and share your own story. I do have a question on, on one particular video. Some of the stuff that I love about... Can I just you, say you... one thing to you, actually? Funny, because you said, what, what does this have to do with financial independence? I just want to mention to anybody who might have that question, which is a valid question, yeah. is that everything I've been talking about has really been about the mindset, mostly. Yeah. So all along... I mentioned there are three broad categories that I think about, the skill set, the tool set, and the mindset. Um, when people talk about the 4% rule, and the yada, 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 all those things, those fall under the tool set, the framework. Yeah, What I've been talking about so far falls under the mindset. And the mindset, for me personally, ranks far above the tool set, the framework, You know, because like anyone can kind of pick up that framework and you know, do something with it if they want it. But they can't really get that far with it without the mindset. Yeah. No, no, I think, you know what, it's, it's bang on, Ken. And I like, I'll give you a personal example of mine. I, I had a friend in March who called up and said, I've just sold my pension out and I've moved it back to cash. And I said to him, are you crazy? You know, what are you doing? And I actually added extra pension contributions during March when uh, it was actually difficult to get hold of the pension companies because everybody was selling in panic. And, uh, you know, I knew, I knew from my own learning that this was an opportunity for me. This was not a time to be fearful when everybody else was fearful. 
And so that's that's an example where you've actually, you know, you've learned something and you've got a strong mindset and you're then just applying your own own education to the situation. So yeah, it's it's one of those things. And yeah, like, like I mentioned, a lot of the videos that you produce, they're so simple. You know, none of this stuff, you, you don't make any of this stuff com- complicated. And that's what I quite like about the content that you produce is that you really just get to the nitty gritty and you answer some of the harder questions that are difficult to answer. So I've got one for you. We were fortunate enough in Ireland to buy a house in 2013 for a steal, for an absolute steal. And uh, we've recently just put another offer in on a slightly bigger house, not too much bigger, but we've been able to negotiate with the banks to not sell our current house and use the equity that we saved up basically to buy the new home. And we're now in a position to rent out our current home, right? So so we're moving into become property managers, I guess, which is, which is an exciting journey for us um, from that point of view. And my wife and I, you know, my, my wife doesn't always understand investing and numbers and so on, but she's amazing at looking at houses and she can see straight through an auctioneer and tell if they're, if they're lying or if they're telling the truth. And she's able to, to find a good deal from a bad one, which, which is great. And, and we enjoy looking at houses. And I know that, that you often mention about kind of paying down your mortgage and so on. And, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad will always talk about, oh, your house isn't, a, isn't an asset. And, you know, I, I always bought into that until... I was able to actually use the equity from my home to buy an investment property. And then I kind of thought, well, hang on, if it's not an asset, what is it? You know, when it comes to kind of that whole sort of, is your house an asset, pay down your mortgage versus not? And I know it depends on your situation, but is there any general advice that you would give people? And did you see your own property as an asset when you were kind of accumulating wealth? That's a good question. So my house is an asset, partly because it actually makes I sell lots of money, <laughs> interestingly. I've, I've got a studio at the back of the house and all our content's created here. Uh, so that's one perspective. But my personal view of what kind of motivation for paying off the mortgage and so on was more the optionality for what it gave you. Yeah. So the fact that I could, if I really wanted, I wouldn't have to worry so much about you know, it removed that fear, you know, I don't know how to explain it. It removed that, that worry that, you know, in the worst case scenario, well, actually, you know, you've got some security for your family, but the optionality it gave was, well, actually a lot of what my, I remember my dad, you know, with all the time would get very frustrated about his work and he would say, well, actually I need to go to work because I need to pay the mortgage. And a lot of my growing up, I'd heard that so much. I thought to myself, gosh, you know, is that really what this life's about? You know, you're just working, working, and all you're doing is just paying the mortgage. And so I always thought to myself, well, what if you could take that off the table and just say, well, actually, this is like, this is not my concern any longer. Like I've done it, I've paid it off, and okay, you've got a great house. But the optionality it gave was then to say, well, actually, do I still need to work five days a week? Could I like, if I wanted, reduce and this is the, this is what people should be thinking another way to think about it could i maybe work three days a week and commit two days towards my my side hustle or business a, a passion project something i've always wanted to do so i i look i look at you paying off your home as complete asset that's my personal perspective but on top of that we just happen to be fortunate in, enough that this house actually generates us good income because we bought a house that had just we were just fortunate enough anyway that we had an outer building and that building is a studio and we we use every part of this house really to do creative things and those creative things earn us an income so from that perspective ordinarily this house generates an income whilst not having a mortgage on it but yeah anyway my view is is 
if in if you're if you're listening to this and you're asking yourself, should I pay off my mortgage? My recommendation is yes. Straight up. It gives you so much more possibilities that you can ever really imagine. And we've never regretted it. We've never looked back and gone, oh yeah, what's that a smart decision to make? Of course it's a smart decision. We're mortgage free. The life we've got now is only possible. I say only possible. A big part of that possibility is that we can lock this door, we can lock up and go, okay, we're going to disappear off for quite some time and come back. We'll always have our home. That's just the way we see it because we're a family because of our circumstances. We're a married couple with two children. and We always wanted a home we could call a family home and at the same time a place where we can work and operate from. And so for us, you know, it, it just it, it's worked out really well. And my advice to people who are family members and friends is, is if you can, if you, if you can pay off your mortgage, pay it off early if you can. Even if interest rates are low, still pay off your mortgage early. I think you've hit it on the head in the sense of it gives you options. And, and we certainly saw that ourselves because we had such a low mortgage. It eventually gives you options, you know, whether we release equity to buy another investment property or we, you know, don't have the pressure. You know, I could move down to part time knowing that the mortgage repayment was so low. There was no pressure. I know my mother-in-law used to come and she goes, ah, won't it be great when your mortgage is paid off? And I looked at her and I said, well, to be honest, my mortgage is less than my electricity bill. So I'm not really too worried about my mortgage at this point, you know, and you kind of look at me funny. But um, yeah, that, that was a nice thing to have. And I lived in Australia. When I lived in Australia, I bought a apartment there and the mortgage stress was was awful, right? Like the high mortgage thing, 50% of our income going to the mortgage. It was a horrible way to live your life. And now about you know, less than 10% of our money goes to our mortgage. So it's a much nicer situation to be in, you know. Can I throw something out there? What's even more exciting, how about using your home as a place to make enough income to completely replace your mortgage payment. Could you imagine a scenario where you have enough passive income coming in from something you've created such that it pays your mortgage anyway? That's a real possibility. And that's like something that you can actually mark down as a challenge. Say to yourself, "Ah, how about I use the rest of, I've got six more months in this current year. How about I say to myself, my project is I'm going to find something I'm going to do that will generate me enough passive income. And by the way, hint, use the internet, that will generate me enough passive income for me to replace my mortgage payments each month. It's not going to appeal to everybody, but I kind of like these challenges because these are the sort of things that when I talk about financial independence and accelerating the journey and doing things differently, this is the kind of stuff you want to be doing. I mean, everybody knows how to invest it. Like, not everybody, but like anyone can invest their money. Anyone can like cut down their expenses, but not everybody can can engage creativity and do something with it. That's where I see the opportunity. It's in creativity. It's in you actually doing things radically differently. And it gets me excited, you know, because I have seen people do some really interesting things and solve their problems in really unusual ways and get to get the same results in, in a much quicker periods of time. So that's if I had to leave something with your listeners, it's how could you start to think from a perspective of experiments? How could, how could you start to really engage your creativity in a different way to accelerate your journey towards financial independence? Listen, Ken, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, most of the, the listener base will know you from the Humble Penny. I know you have your own academy as well. Do you want to plug that a little bit? So we run a thing called Financial Joy Academy. Uh, at financialjoyacademy.com. So we started it this year, three months, uh, three months ago. 
And it's it's a it's a dream project. So Mary and I said, and here's the, here's the dream and the experiment behind it. Uh, how can we, using the resources we have today, help at least ten thousand families achieve financial independence in the next ten years? Now that's a bold mission for us, you know. So we created Financial Joy Academy as a platform for that, where we essentially create premium content, courses, masterclasses. We offer group coaching every two weeks on Zoom to everybody that we all log in and people show up. We have between 50 and 100 people log in at the same time. We answer people's questions. Uh, we have a vibrant community. We offer people accountability. We have accountability partnerships. We network. In fact, we're meant to have a picnic tomorrow with our community. And we're all meant to show up at St. James's Park to hang out together and learn from each other. So we want to create, we're creating a world that we know is real, where you have accountability, you have networking, you have true relationships, you have ideas being shared, and you have people of same like-mindedness who are all aiming for a similar goal. So Financial Joy Academy is a membership program that we've created, and it, it you know, we, we charge a pound a day, essentially, is what it costs to be a member. Uh, and you have access to all our, our all our premium content, all our courses across all areas, investing, all side hustle, all the things that I talk about really, but in detail within the within the membership. That's kind of what we do there. So feel free to check it out. You know, if it sounds interesting to you, uh, head over to financialjoyacademy.com and, and check it out. Excellent. Ken, we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. Ken, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, yeah, look, I look forward to, to following your journey and, and see where the next steps take you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you're a big fan of the show, why not become an Irish Fire podcast member for free? Members receive access to inside information that isn't shared on the podcast, as well as regular updates such as a monthly newsletter. To become a member, visit www.firepodcast.ie.